0: could talk loud, but we'll get the mic on. Good morning. It's great to see everybody this morning. We are so glad that you're here. Welcome Smyrna campus. We love you guys. We're glad you're connected there. Everybody connecting online. We're so thankful that you're able to connect that way. I know that we're able to reach people that could not be here in person. And we're so thankful we could have that technology and use it that way. And uh, there's a chat feature there with our YouTube stream. You can leave comments or ask questions. Or if you want someone to follow up with you, just uh, give us a note there. Tell us uh, you'd like to have us do that. Uh, we've had people decide to get baptized uh, watching online. Uh, in the past month, we've had three baptisms of people that had not stepped foot inside our building till they came here to get baptized, but they had connected online and heard the message there. So we're so thankful <laughs> for that. And we are thankful that you're here, and we are uh, having a special day of celebration. I'm so honored that Sue Ann and I and our family can celebrate 30 years of ministry here at Lakeshore. It's, it's a, a really a privilege for us. And we're going to get to that at the very end of the service. But you, if you know me, in 30 years, I love preaching. And I wasn't going to have this time of celebration be without my opportunity to preach the word at this time, too. So we're starting a new series today, and and we're going to get into it. It's called The Daniel Dilemma. And I believe it is so timely. I didn't want to miss getting started with it today, doing the introduction to it today, because it is so timely. And it's so parallels what we're going through today as Christ followers. Now, before we get to that today, I want us to take a moment for prayer. Uh, we've got a couple of families in particular that I really want to be lifting up in prayer. Maria Pertillo and her family, her son Juan passed away uh, a week ago, and we certainly want to be praying for, for that family, Uh uh, both Maria and her uh, some of her other children are members here, Juan's brothers and sisters, and we just want to lift them all up in prayer. And then also, uh, more recently than that, even Ted and Danita Williams uh, had a baby that was born with many complications. Ainsley, a little girl, beautiful little girl. I got to meet her Uh Just uh, this week in the hospital, they made exception for me to be able to go in and be with her. And I'm so thankful I got to. Uh, She fought a hard battle for seven months after her birth. She never left the hospital, but she was well loved and well cared for. And uh, she went on to be with the Lord. And we want to uh, be lifting up that family, Ted and Danita and their whole family, and our prayers there. And then uh, Ollie Cole sitting here. Uh, Ollie, I'm not sure. I think you might be our senior member what are 90 years old, I think, right? And Arlie's going in tomorrow, I think, for a heart cath, and we want to be praying for Ollie. And then one other one, Talia Stallworth, I just got a text this morning. She's having contractions way early in her pregnancy. I want to be praying for her as well. I know there are many other needs, but let's go to God in prayer together. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we can have access to your throne of grace through your son, Jesus, and what he did for us on the cross. So we lift up these needs, Father knowing full well that you want us to do our part to meet the needs, but we are so limited, but you're not. You can meet the needs in ways that we can't even imagine. You can give strength and comfort and peace that's beyond our ability to understand. And we pray that for all of these people that are going through times of challenge or struggle or grief or loss. Father, we lift them up to you and do your care. In Jesus' name, amen. So today, beginning this new series, we're talking about the Daniel dilemma is this. How do you stand firm and love well in a culture of compromise? Uh, What happened in Daniel's life is a little different than what we're dealing with, but there are some strong parallels to what Christians are facing in the United States today. And and so I want us to make the connection there with the things Daniel did the choices that he made, not just Daniel, but his friends that were in this with him, some choices they made that enabled God to to allow him to stand firm and still love well without ever compromising his faith and his trust in God. What it comes down to is this, deciding who God has called you to be, no matter what happens around you. Who God has called you to be when people are watching when there are nobody's watching who has God called you to be when you're having success and fun things in your life who has God called you to be when things are hard and challenging and the heat is on it's all about integrity character and Daniel set such a great example for us and some of his friends that were there with him set such great examples for us and how to do that now here's why to me it is so timely Uh, We have to come to grips with something, and I think the pandemic has accelerated it even more. I love the United States of America, but friends, we are entered into a post-Christian culture in the United States of America. It's time for us to just get real about it, understand where we are, and make the decisions we need to make to be who God has called us to be in a post-Christian society. See, we're not the first ones to have to do this. Daniel and his friends had to do this so long ago. And and the early church had to do this from the very beginning. The, The church started in one of the most pagan cultures on the face of the earth, the Roman Empire. Under their pagan rule, the church not only got started, but it thrived in the middle of a pagan culture. Why? Because those people decided, they made the choice, we are going to follow after Jesus, even if the culture around us is in no way supportive of that. And in fact, many times opposed it violently. We've got to make a decision, church in America. Are we going to stand firm? And by standing firm, I don't mean with the absence of also loving well at the same time. Because it's one thing to stand up for what you believe in. It's another thing to do it with love. The kind of love that will be attractive to people that we're trying to reach for Christ. And all too often, here's what the church in America has done. We've either compromised or we've tried to take a stand that's not very loving. And I believe from Daniel and his friends, we can learn that balance in this series for these four weeks of standing firm and yet still loving well and a culture of compromise that we find ourselves living in in America today. I want to look at the beginning. Uh, turn, in, if you would, in your Bibles to Daniel. We're going to start with chapter 1 there. Uh, a little bit of an introduction to what was going on in Daniel's life, beginning with verse 3. Then the king ordered Aspenaz, chief of his court officials. By the way, if you don't think that's the correct pronunciation, I don't care. I just say what I think it was, and you can pronounce it any way you want when you read it out loud. Okay. Right. Aspinaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years. After that, they were to enter into the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Let's stop there for a minute. Because if you don't know the context a little bit, this almost sounds like a wonderful opportunity for Daniel and his friends. right? They are hand-selected because they're such quality young men. They're probably 16 to 18 years old at this time, young men. And, and what we don't catch, if you don't know the context, is, is that this is the result of their people being conquered and overthrown by a pagan ruler named Nebuchadnezzar. He was as pagan as they come. In fact, Babylon, where he ruled, was the center of idol worship in the world at that time totally away from the one true God in every way you could imagine. And he had come in and conquered uh, God's people. Let's be honest, at this time, if you look at the history in the Old Testament, they had wandered far from God. And and their king, Jehoiakim, was a terrible king. He did not lead them well. He did not call them to honor God and serve God in their lives. And God allowed, I think... Nebuchadnezzar to come in and conquer them because of their rebellion, because of their sin. It's a discipline from God that was coming. And they were taken captive, many of them, to Babylon. Now, not all of them were taken there, but a lot of them were. Some of them were left in that land, but were still ruled over by the Babylonian government, by Nebuchadnezzar. But this handful of, of men were handpicked from among those that had been conquered to come go through training And this training, if you listen to it carefully, here's what they're trying to do with these young men. They're taking them at a young age where they feel like they can mold them and make them into being who they want them to be. The king wanted some young men who would learn the language and learn the culture and learn everything that he wanted them to do and help him with in his kingdom. In other words, he wanted to give them a whole new identity other than being the people of God the people of the one true God. And the reason that so parallels what's happening in our culture is we are living in a cancel culture that wants to eliminate the presence and the influence, in many ways, of Christians and the church. Now, not everybody's trying to do that. I'm not trying to say this is everybody in government, everybody. Trying, but there is a movement. There is an effort being made to cancel out anything that would hold to the truth, the one truth of God's word. As the truth. And the church, honestly, is part of the problem and why this has happened. I'm convicted by this as a pastor. Here's what has happened with the church in America. I've talked about it before, but here's what's happened. We stopped thinking of America as a mission field. The first settlers came here thinking of this as a mission field, an opportunity to spread the gospel. Now, they didn't do everything right, they didn't get it all right, but they came here with that mission. And somewhere along the way, the church grew, it got strong, it got successful in the way we would measure success, right? In numbers and all of that, we got successful, and now missions for us was going somewhere else. It wasn't the United States anymore. We stopped being passionate about making disciples right here in the United States of America, But we expected our nation to remain a Christian nation anyway. And we got mad when it started going away from that. We got angry. And we tried different ways to fix it, usually by force, politically. We wanted to make it a Christian nation, keep it a Christian nation by political means. But the Great Commission says nothing about elect the right people and you'll be a Christian people says so nothing about supporting the right party and our your nation will be blessed it doesn't say that here's what it says to the church go and make disciples of all people baptizing them in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit we're called to make disciples all the time And while the church is strong yes we should have taken advantage of that better than we did but now that the church is facing greater kickback Greater challenges. Here's what's happening to the church in America. And the pandemic just accelerated it. Here's what's happening. There's somewhat of a purging taking place. You know what a purge is? It's where, it's where the chaff is kind of taken away. And only the real thing remains. The pure thing remains. Churches all around the world including America during the pandemic have suffered about a one third loss of people who were pretty connected to the church before the pandemic hit, who've not reconnected at all during that time. One third, boom, gone. There are a lot of reasons for it and people use a lot of excuses for it, but here's the bottom line. That was already happening before the pandemic hit. Did you know it? The church in America has been in decline for well over 25 years steady decline long before this pandemic hit so the challenge is okay what we were doing before people say I just want to get back to normal please don't pray for that normal wasn't working it wasn't getting the job done let's not go back to normal let's move forward better than what we were before laser focused on the mission that God's given us to keep making disciples who make disciples who make disciples instead of just thinking church is about gathering people on Sundays. The more butts you get in the seat, the more successful you are. That's not true. It's never been true. You measure it by disciple making. That's the true measure of the success of the church. And so we all need to rethink. Let's not go back to normal. Let's learn how to, in a counterculture, in a culture of compromise, how can we stand firm as God's people, do what God has called us to do, and loving well at the same time. And Daniel teaches us. Here's three key things Daniel did when he was taken into Babylon. Okay, We see it right away in chapter 1. The first thing he did was he resolved not to defile himself while he was there. He resolved not to defile himself. Let's pick up here in verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. He asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. I entitled this message when no one's looking. Who are we going to be then as God's people? Daniel is 720 miles from home. He doesn't have his support system around him right now. He doesn't have the encouragement of people say, oh, it's so great that you love God. It's so great that you want to honor God. He doesn't have that around him. He's on his own, him and his buddies there. But Daniel did something. see he, When they said, we're taking you there, here's the plan. Daniel made a decision that he wasn't going to defile himself, even in that pagan culture. He was going to honor what God had called him to, even in that pagan culture. You see, what's the big deal? The the king, it looks like he's doing a good thing. He's going to provide food for them and wine for them. And, you know, he's going to have their meals served to them. He's going to provide education for them. It looks like it's all good stuff, doesn't it? But here's the problem with it. That diet was opposed to the diet God had given his people. Sounds like a little thing, right? It wouldn't be so much of a compromise to say, well, I know God says not to eat this food, but I can eat it or drink this one, I mean, I'll drink it anyway. You know, Because after all, I'm 720 miles from home, and I don't have any support system around me, and, and, and the king is a ruthless king, and if I go against him, he might have us punished for it. You know, he could have, He could have justified compromising. And the church in America has done a lot of that we've justified compromising people who belong to the church are living together without being married being sexually active outside of marriage supporting lifestyles that god says are sinful lifestyles there's a church here in nashville that just came out and said the bible's not really authoritatively god's word right here in nashville the bible belt the buckle of the bible belt right A prominent church here in Nashville that just came out publicly in a statement from their church. uh, We don't believe the Bible is the authoritative and errant word of God. You see, the church has compromised so much. We can learn from Daniel and his buddies here. It's not just Daniel. It's his buddies, too. They made this decision. We will not defile ourselves. To defile means to, to be made impure from what God has called you to be. In this case, it's it's God's teaching, God's directions for his life. He wasn't going to defile himself that way. What American Christians don't get yet is our brothers and sisters in Christ and, and many other places around the globe have had to do this forever. Go against the culture around them. You see, cultural Christianity was strong here in America. There was a time in America where if you were running for public office, if you could say you were a member of a big prominent church, it would help you get elected. Now it might get you canceled out if you say that. You see the shift in the culture? You see, cultural Christianity, it was was easier to be a Christian for years in America, at least to call yourself a Christian and go through the motions of being a Christian. It was easy to do that. But what's happening now is a purge because it's not easy to do that anymore not as easy as it was and I'm not a prophet in, in the sense of predicting the future all the time but I believe the trends are evident it's not going to get better soon it's going to get worse so we have to decide in a culture that's not going to be as much a Christian culture around us will we be men and women who resolve not to defile ourselves Because it's that distinctiveness that's going to make the church strong and powerful and effective. You know what they said about the early church more than anything else? They were amazed at how distinctively different they lived their lives than the people in the pagan culture were living theirs. That's what made the church stand out. That's what made it powerful. That's what got people's attention. And they did it while at the same time loving people who weren't living that way. That's a hard balance to keep. But that's exactly what Daniel resolved to do. Notice what Daniel did. He resolved not to do that, but look at what he said. It says he asked for permission not to defile himself that way. Is he being belligerent to the Babylonian official that's in charge of him? No. Is he being hateful to him in any way? No. He, in fact, is showing respect to this man. And saying, listen, I, I want you to understand why I, I want to do this and how I want to do it. I, I want you to, I, I'm just asking, would you give me a chance to do that? Would, would you allow me to have that opportunity? How respectful. I love it. So many of us aren't speaking that respectfully to the people who disagree with us today. Who oppose us today. We can learn from Daniel's example here. There's a better way to do this than what a lot of us have been trying to do you see here here's what's going to happen moving forward the church in America is no longer going to have home court advantage you know what home court advantage is right in a sports team you're playing at your own court in basketball right or you have home field advantage because you're playing at home in football or whatever other sport it is right some people even like soccer I'll throw that one out there you know When I say football, I mean real football, but some people mean (laughs) soccer, right? Home court means you've got fans and support around you. Here's what we have to understand. The church in America is not going to have nearly as much of a home court advantage moving forward. We're not. So we have to be a resolved people. To not defile ourselves, to not compromise and, and let the ways of the world come in and start controlling our lives just so we can fit in better, just so we can not make people upset with us, just so we can, we can keep friends that we want to keep happy with us, right? Daniel was risking everything when he decided to resolve to do this, that that's who he was going to be. The second thing Daniel did is he verbalized his intentions. He let it be known that he was resolving to do this. Look at verse 9 and 10. Remember, he asked the chief official for permission, so he's verbalizing what he wants to do. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. You see, he verbalized, here's what I want to do. I don't want to eat that food. I want to eat the food that God has said I need to eat. And, and, and the official, he, he's been polite. He's asked for permission. But the official, uh, he, he wants to show Daniel favor. God's prompted him to do that, which is a great thing, a wonderful thing. But Daniel didn't know in advance that the official was going to respond that way, did he? He had no idea how the official was going to respond when he said, I've resolved not, not to eat that food. And if we continue to stand for Christ, we resolve to do that in our culture in America. We don't know what response we're going to get in the days ahead. I can assure you this, it won't be the happy celebration that it once was amongst as many people. So are we going to be resolved enough to do it? Anyway, I've got friends who uh, work in ministry in Europe. I've got two friends who work in ministry in Canada and I've heard from them all. The ones who work in Europe say, Randy, Europe is about uh, 60, 70 years ahead of America. The church there compromised, got very liberal and almost went non-existent in many European countries. Those great cathedrals they built are now museums and tour places the tourists go see. They're not thriving churches anymore. And Canada There are about 20 years ahead of us where that liberal movement got there before it came into America as much. And the churches in Canada are compromising and failing and they're closing their doors at faster rates than they are here in America. You see, sometimes people make the mistake of thinking, well, the way for the church to do well is to compromise and become more like the world. But Daniel's example, the example of the early church... Is that the church thrived without compromise by loving and walking in obedience at the same time. Loving well and standing firm. Well, Daniel verbalized what he was going to do. And Nebuchadnezzar was known as a a ruthless king. And this official was scared to death what Nebuchadnezzar would do to him if he gave in to Daniel. And allowed Daniel to only eat the food he wanted to eat. And, and if it turned out it didn't work well, who was going to be in trouble? Not just Daniel. Who else was going to be in trouble? The official was too. He was going to be in trouble. He could, the king could have his head for not following the rules like he was supposed to. But Daniel showed respect and concern for the official. And he, he wanted to work with him on it. So he said, I, you know, he came up with this idea of, of let's test this. All right. Let's just test it and see if God's way is not the better way. If God's way is not the better way, when we think of standing for God, one of the things that Sue Ann and I learned early on, like in our marriage, for example, is she worked more than me, worked outside the home and in a secular work job situation. I work mostly at churches, right? So it's a little different. Though I saw a lot of secular stuff at the church. But still, it was more that way where she worked out there in the business world. But we both learned something about protecting our marriage. And we didn't come up with this. We learned this from other people who were great mentors for us. As you decide before you go there who you're going to be. Before you walk into that classroom, before you walk into that office, before you walk into that factory, you decide what kind of man or woman you're going to be before you get there. Because if you wait and try to decide it after you've been there a while it gets harder and harder to stand firm and be the example Sue Ann and I did some things like this when she would get to a new office or to a job that she was working in the secular setting you know what she did she put up a picture of her family on her desk right away she talked about her husband usually pretty complimentary right? Now, think about that. That took a lot of creative work on her part, all right? <laughs> but she would do that. She would speak about her, how much she loved our marriage and loved our kids and and, wanted her, you know, and, and talked about, hey, uh, he's a pastor, and he, you know, we love our church. And, you know, she set that tone right up front. Because if you don't, the secular world will eat you alive, friends. But here's something else that's going to happen. When you decide in advance and you go in there and let it be known up front who you are and what you stand for, you do it in a loving way. She was very loving about it. She didn't condemn anybody else. She didn't tell them, you know, first day, you know, we're Christians and you're all going to hell. That's not how you do it, right? <laughs> it's not how you do it. She still treated them with love and dignity and respect. And she honored them and, uh, and, and worked well with them and was kind to them. And friends, I know because I would go visit in the workplace and go to events that they would have. They had great respect for her. But here's something else they did do. And they will do it to you and to me. If you say that, they're going to test you on it. They're going to throw some temptations out there and some opportunities out there to see if you are the real deal. If you are the genuine article or not. They'll tell a little gossip story and see if you join in. They'll have an opportunity here. Here's a way for us to be a little dishonest and, and get some benefits here. You know, get something from the company that we, nobody has to know about and see if you go along with it. They'll, they'll flirt with you and see if you're going to flirt back, even though you said you're married. right? They'll, they'll do all of that stuff. And here's the thing I know about when people do that. There's two ways they look at it. Number one is they already maybe feel like Christians are are hypocrites and they don't like them at all, and they're just trying to show you up to be another one, right? Sometimes that's their approach. But sometimes the approach is this. I would like to know, is there anything real about this? Does it really make a difference in your life to know Jesus and follow Jesus? Are there people who are genuinely representing Christ in the world today? Because a lot of people out there are hurting and searching, and they would never start a conversation telling you that, but they'll test you to see if you're the real deal. And then if they have a struggle or crisis or some problem in their lives, guess who they'll go to? They'll go to you because you've shown yourself to be the real deal out there. I can't tell you how many people would come to Sue Ann in a very secular office environment who were having crisis in their marriage or their lives or with their kids, and who would they go to to talk to about it? They would go to her. She would shown herself to be the genuine article. Not perfect. None of us is going to be perfect. But genuine. Real. She was also real about struggling with things. With her closest friends. And they knew that too. But she never compromised. And it's not just Sue Ann. There's so many out there. So many of you are doing this already. And friends, that's what impacts the world. And I want you to understand that. That is every bit as much worship as you being here today in this service. That's real worship. When you refuse to be defiled by the sinfulness of the world, that's an act of worship. That's honoring God, and that's what worship is. That's showing love to God, and that's what worship is. Yeah, this is worship too. But that's every bit as much worship on the day in and day out, daily work day that you're in. Being undefiled by the world. Well, Daniel did one more thing. And that is that he trusted God enough. He trusted God enough that he would put God to the test. He would try it God's way. Even at great risk to himself. Let's look at uh, when he trusted God, what happened here. Verse 11. Daniel said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. By the way, those characters we'll talk about later. You'll know them by different names. They were given Babylonian names. Please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young man who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. Whoa, that's not much time. He said, let's do this for 10 days. You give us the diet that God says we're supposed to follow and you feed everybody else what you want to feed them, the king's stuff. And at the end of the 10 days, see what happens and you do with us whatever the evidence shows you ought to do with us. He's putting his very life on the line to say God's way is the best way. God's way is the best way to do things. At the end of the 10 days, (laughs) they looked healthier and better nursed than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. You know what he did? He changed the diet for everybody. Look at the impact. Look at the influence that he had. And just 10 days of resolving in advance that he wasn't going to defile himself. He has changed part of the culture and the pagan society already. Showing that God knows better, He's wiser, that their God is the God who knows what's best. Friends, we can never convince the world out there who doesn't yet know Jesus that Jesus' way is the best way if we're not following it ourselves. Why would they want it if we're not even doing it? But if we're willing to do it, here's what's going to happen. If we're willing to do it consistently, you know what will happen? we'll be better friends, we'll be better husbands, we'll be better wives, we'll be better mothers and fathers and grandparents, we'll be better workers and bosses. We'll we'll stand out. We'll shine like stars, it says in Philippians, in the universe, following God's teachings consistently in the middle of a pagan. And here's, here's what you need to know. The darker the world gets, the more that lifestyle will shine, stand out be set apart I love America I'm so grateful to be in this country and I've had all the blessings we've had here but America is not my home and if you're a Christ follower it's not yours either we are just foreigners here in this place we're just travelers passing through and our job whether we're in America or any other country we might ever find ourselves in is the same Let's make disciples who make disciples who make disciples because that's how you change and impact the culture around you and you can't make disciples while allowing yourselves to be defiled by the world. I want to close with this in Ephesians 5 beginning with verse 3. Paul speaks directly to this and I want us all to hear this challenge. We really need to hear it in the church in America. Listen, but among you, Christians, Christ followers, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity or foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Don't make this mistake. Don't expect people who don't know Christ to live like this. They can't. The people that are told to live like this are the people who claim to follow Jesus. We are the ones who are supposed to stand out and be set apart from how everybody else is living. Proverbs 3, he says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, right? Lean not on your own understanding, and all your ways submit to him, and he will make your straight. Don't trust yourself. Trust him. Don't trust what your friends are telling you. Trust him. Don't trust what the culture is doing. Trust him. Make sure he has that place of rule and authority. Because here's what I know about him. He loves you so much he would let his son Jesus die for you. He only wants what's best for you. He's proven it over and over again. You can trust him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that in Christ we find your way and your will for our lives. We find forgiveness where we've come short, but we find direction for where we need to go now. Help us to be a resolved people moving forward who refuse to defile ourselves of the sins of the world and the culture around us, who are willing to stand firm, but who never stop loving those who even oppose us, who might even be our enemies, as you've directed us to do. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.